0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another podcast. Today we're here with Ben May. Ben, how's it going?
1: You know, mate. Yeah, good, good. Pissing down down here in the necky, but uh Day of doing I got a bit done actually, but yeah, that's just good.
0: Yeah, Roger, it's been pissing down here all day today too. Just yeah, been kicking good around for the grass. Eh, bro? Yeah, good for the good for the grass, mate, you're a farmer now, so you'll be right up on all of that. <laughs> yeah.
1: real pasture management guy yeah
0: um man we've been talking about doing this for quite a while uh a lot of people will know you from as a professional rugby player you've been a professional rugby player for 15 years in new zealand uh a lot of people also know that you've done a lot of hunting like from following on alps outfitters instagram and all that sort of thing um do you just want to start off by telling us sort of how you got into hunting
1: yeah, mate, okay, so I, um, old man was a farmer, uh, and I grew up in a little town called Murchison, which, uh, for the listeners who don't know, is just a wee town, probably two hours south of uh, Nelson, and basically you've got paddocks, thick um, beech forest, and you've got deer running around on your paddocks that are wild, so... I basically grew up out of, um, just around that and that's where it sort of, um, and also my father was a, he was in the game recovery business with the choppers, so as a little kid that was, and then it sort of, um, he sort of got out of that when I was sort of old enough to hunt, but, so yeah, just grew up deer, deer landing in the front paddock every day, um, hooked onto a chopper and, um, yeah. We had Deer on the back of the farm and he took me out a few times and showed me the ropes and then I was sort of away and uh, had a neighbour that was a pig hunter, keen as, and he was a shearer and he'd come home and he'd ring me and be like, "God, on, I need a carrier, get down here. So I was the pig carrier for many a year and I think that probably was why I became a professional rugby player. I had big solid legs. <laughs> but... um. Nah, just pretty much like every other Kiwi kid, man, it was, you just grew up and the neighbour did it or your dad did it and, and you were just surrounded by it and it was just a thing that we did in those small towns. Um, what, yeah, what so age yeah. did you,
0: what age did you start off? What age did you get your first gun? Did you get an air rifle, a twenty two or?
1: Yeah, yeah, good question. So I had, I got a twenty two pretty early on. It was probably a little bit early on, but it was. It was a bit of a necessity you know, with rabbits and possums and that you were just shooting them at an early age and taught how to use a gun properly at an early age. So it wasn't that big a deal. Um, so I was shooting at about seven, I think, on my own with the twenty-two. And that was just small game, which we all know leads into... Uh, <laughs> a mob of pigs (laughs) with an old sour in there and you're stalking in and, um, and you, you know, you, you're head shooting pigs at 15 yards and, um, I actually got my first deer with my 22. Uh, and then, yeah, just, just went from there. So about seven, I started rabbit shooting, which quickly ended up into pig shooting and goats. Goats were another big one. Um, And just learning the craft really and then deer were just the obvious step up from there Um, and so you're often
0: so you're shooting your first sort of pigs and deer out rabbit shooting with the 22. what age do you reckon you were when you shot your first pig or your first deer sort of your first big (laughs) game animal
1: it was was before i went to boarding school which was 11. so it must have been between eight and ten so (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's pretty bloody young eh? eh? it's pretty young eh? Yeah. The scope of my hunting just uh we had a big farm, you see, so it was just walk, 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 shooting rabbits and then Oh, jeez, more pig's over there and then, you know, the time you get over there they're ripping up the old man's back paddock and
0: It just escalates, doesn't it? So so yeah, I mean you it sounds like you're pretty similar to me. I started about seven two and and I didn't shoot my first deer in that till older than you, but um when I was growing up sounds like you were the same. It was on the home farm, so, you know, all around your house and you basically get home. I know I used to get home, my dad would be at work and no one else is around and about the only thing there was to do was grab a gun and go hunting and you were straight into it. Was so it was that sort of the same as you? hundred percent. It was
1: we had a house care. As long as that as long as she was milked, uh the sheep dogs were fed um and the wood was in. <laughs> I was good to go. So I might add though, if, if that wasn't done and I, and I slipped out and uh, and went for a bit of a shoot, then we all know what was coming when I got home. So um, but yeah, basically just that, mate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um and and that obviously progressed on um, into you know, I and mean, then as you got older and then you get your driver's licence and then bigger center fire rifles and all of that sort of stuff. Leads from one thing to another. I know you've shot I mean, um you've got a, you've got a pretty impressive uh trophy selection there. Um you've shot trophy tar, trophy reds. Um did do have you got a big fellow there? Yeah, yeah, yeah good fellow. Yeah. Big seeker. Um guessing you've shot big chamois. Yeah,
1: we've got we've got a couple of there, yeah, a couple of ten inch. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, um yeah. Um, but also, with me and you have talked about how you used to do a lot of target shooting. How did What type of target shooting did you used to do? How did you get into that? What age were you when you got into that?
1: Yeah, so that was a boarding school thing. Um, and I was pretty experienced with the shooting uh, from before I went to boarding school. So it was just an obvious thing. It was a night off homework. And uh, you'd go down to the shooting club, and I was actually pretty good at the small ball stuff. Um, And we we ended up in the shooting team at Nelson College. So, and I sort of just did it, I just got roped in, really, and then went on and on. And this was before First 15 Rugby sort of stuff, so I was pretty happy to do it. And then uh, got into the 308s, Target 308s, and um
0: Bench yeah
1: yeah well it's more of an FTR that is what's and, that um, what's uh, different what's FTR stand for I'm sure but it's not Bench it's different it's like um sling shooting through our lights sort of stuff. oh yeah 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 so it was all sling stuff in the early days yeah so I was doing that and uh a few trips and um things like that which was bloody good because it taught me a lot about ballistics which was early days to be learning about ballistics and Mm. and um and just aim small miss small sort of like you're aiming you're looking through a site that's you know you've got to get the same amount of light around the same amount around a black thing so it's pretty you know really fine-tuned stuff for open sites most of it Mm. um so it taught me a lot, actually, it taught me a lot about being a rifleman and, and how to shoot good, um, which which helped my hunting a lot. Which is probably why I got into longer range hunting pretty much straight out of school.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because now you're right into long range hunting, building big custom rifles, good optics. Um, I think one of the last rifles that you you just picked up uh, was that 7 mil Fat Max. Um, and I don't know, you're all, it seems like we, you're talking about a new gun that you've got every, every bloody second time I talk to you. Um, yeah, it's, I guess the, what, what, the idea I'm trying to get across here is, um, talking to you over the last year or so, we're always sort of having yards on the phone. It sort of starts off for a reason. i'll pick up a gun for you here or whatever or whatever we we talk about there's a reason for the phone call but then we end up going on these bloody hour tangents talking about um guns and ballistics and hunting and stuff and um it's pretty crazy how much you know about guns how many different guns you've owned how much shooting you've done um your knowledge on ballistics and calibers and different platforms of rifles and um it's pretty
1: insane (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things. Uh, I'm 38 now, and I've probably been nerding out on it since I was about 18. So, mm. you know what it's like when you nerd out on stuff, you you, you just dive in, and it's an endless pit. With um, You yeah, know, being from the South Island, hunting tar and that, you, you quickly realise that 400 yards is a must, mm. and, it, and it seems like it's just there. So... You know you go down there with the old 270 which you thought was the flattest thing um flattest shooting gun since adam was a cowboy and you go down south and find out holy heck, I'm, I'm having to hold about two feet above a bloody tar to hit it you know yeah so that's what really got me into it and um you know, i've just been building guns and studying ballistics and uh and things ever since shooting flat out for about 20 years Mm. now
0: um okay well that gives that gives the listeners a little bit of an idea anyway we could go on and on forever but um let's jump into a into one of these topics here um the first topic i've got is precision hunter ammo yep um this is for the listeners it's totally unsponsored we're not sponsored by anyone which that's the stuff we just want to talk about what we do, what we use, and, and and what we talk about just when we're on the phone anyway sort of thing. We're like, man, we've got to start putting some of these yarns in a podcast because yeah. it's just what we was, you know, thinking. Um, when did you start
1: using Precision Hunter? Mate, it, it was, hasn't been out that long, I don't no. think. I was using, a bit like yourself, uh, the early days of long-range hunting in New Zealand, a lot of guys were using the, the AMAX, the 162 AMAX, you know, out of a 7mm REM mag at 2.950, and, um, you know, there wasn't much that walked away from that thing. Mm. It was a great bullet, and that was from Hornady. And then um, they discontinued that, fixed up the poly primer tip in the end, and they, um, they came out with this new thing because they thought it was melting at higher speeds. So they came up with a new polytip, and uh, and they also redesigned a bullet and called it the ELDX. Mm. Um, and essentially, the old 162 a would be the one, would be the ELD-M. Yeah. So that's basically a, in a nutshell. And, I, and it wasn't that, it wasn't, oh, you know, years go by, but it could have been, not quite 10 years ago, maybe. Um, but the fit I, I reckon the T- first what? lot of precision hunter ammo that came out was quite slow, yeah. Okay, so it didn't really take off because not, not all, not you yeah, know, not everyone had night force dial up scopes, you know. Mm. So it was you still needed to be able to shoot relatively flat with just a holdover reticle or something, so it didn't really take off. But now that we've pretty much household. If you want to shoot long range, you've got some sort of dial up on your scope, which is pretty much a must, um, past sort of that 500, 400, 500 yards. Precision hunters has really come, come good and, um, yeah, it's actually great stuff. It is, as you yeah. Know.
0: Oh, yeah, well, I started using it uh, about 18 months ago or so when I got my 7mm REM mag built, which is just a take T3 with a um, good stock on it and a mm. good, good night force scopes and good rings. Mm. Um, and I was talking to Ian Hughes from Hardy Rifle, and he set it up and sighted in for me, and then I was asking him about... I can't remember, but we had the conversation on the phone about ammunition and and I, I was just intending to reload with it with the um, hundred and sixty-two grain AMAX, but then there was the ELDX and the ELDM and the the, the 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 as you said, the new ELDM is basically the old AMAX. It's the same thing. ELDM and the AMAX is the same thing. The ELDX is basically uh the old amax but it's redesigned for hunting eight so it's a little bit more of a solid bullet It's sl- it's slightly bonded or it's got a thicker outer jacket that holds it's a bit harder holds together a bit better and punches through yep um and so i was talking to ian about this what do you reckon do i use the ELDM or the eodx and what sort of powder what's a good starting point i was basically researching how i was going to reload for that rem mag and um, he said look we've got a lot of guys using precision hunter straight out of the box and um, doing really well with it and he said if you want to hand load you could hand load and hot it right up and depending on the rifle every as you would know every rifle is different than that with pressure and things like that but some guys are getting maybe 100 feet per second faster um by hand loading than what they're getting out of precision hunter out of the box but it just precision hunter tends to shoot really good it's going pretty damn fast and uh, for out of the box it's it's and we haven't really had that up until recently as far as i'm aware
1: yeah i yeah and that's it i think this stuff here is the first real bullet you could shoot long range consistently and have consistent results with and um I think it, you know, I've put it on the, the chrono. Uh, I've got two chronos. I've got a lab radar and a um, magneto speed. It's probably about probably about 20 um, feet per second variance mm. from bullet to bullet, so extreme spread, um, which is not bad. You know, mm. if, you, if you can get in single digits with hand loads, you're doing well um so this stuff what that basically equates to is repeatability of of long-range shooting so you got your extreme spread obviously when you're shooting out at six seven hundred yards for hunting you start getting a huge extreme spread like 50 feet per second and you'll you'll get quite a bit of um, variant in your and your impact so mm-hmm. this was basically the first stuff that that um, did a good job, straight out of the box, at long range, and with a bullet, that would kill, essentially, yep. and, and repeatably kill. So, the old mm-hmm. Amexes, you'd probably get one out of a hundred that either flew to bits on the shoulder uh, if a stag had been wallowing and had a heap of mud on there, or would pinhole. That was just what happened with those match bullets. Um, these don't tend to do that, but they're also not as dramatic killers Mm. um as some of those old amexes were so it's a pretty bloody though it's a pretty good line of um ammo and like you say you can buy a gun off the shelf set it up go shoot this and you will not have any issues
0: yeah it's kind of crazy it takes that whole reloading side out of it so exactly what you just said someone can go buy exactly what i did buy a rem mag put a good stock on it put a good scope on it buy box ammo off the shelf and you're, pr- you're kind of 95% of the way there to where a guy was a few years ago that had nerded out over hand loading, had, a, you know, a half a spare bedroom full of gear and spend hours and hours and thousands of dollars bloody hand loading. Not to mention learning all about it, and doing it all properly and making all the mistakes. You just buy straight off the shelf and go. It's it's um It's kind of a big deal, really.
1: Oh, yeah, that's the funny thing. I've done all that. I've been right down the rabbit hole with reloading, uh, neck turning brass, um, weighing bullets, contricity measuring bullets, you know, the whole nine. I swore by burger bullets because they all weighed the same and they all had, but fact of the matter, uh, New Zealand hunting offers, you know, it, it throws... We've got wind over here that pretty much most places in the world don't encounter when they're hunting, and that's probably more affected on our ammo than than you could possibly, um, you know, than human could fix. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. So this ammo is pretty, pretty top notch, and yep. like you say, no prep work. You just buy it you well, I don't. <laughs>
0: I'm not the type of person that actually enjoys hand loading. Some people are like, uh you know, every now and again I'll get a question about what sort of ammo am I using, what am I doing? Or someone's hand loading or ask for a suggestion or something and I'll say to be at the moment I'm using box ammo and it's bloody good and and it sort of <laughs> takes them by surprise and they're like, Oh I thought reloading would be right up your alley and I've done it and I still do it. I still hand load from the three oh eight, hand load subsonics and things like that. Been mucking around with hand loading for years and years, but um uh, man, I welcome the opportunity to skip it too. I, I don't; it's too fiddly for me. I'll happily do it, but um, I won't do it for fun when there's something I can just buy off the shelf that does ninety-five percent of the same thing.
1: Man, I think ninety-five percent <laughs> of hunters in New Zealand are the same as you. Like I off on it, mm. but and it's probably it's probably because of my my day job. It's just a, I can just go to my garage, get all my gear out and just chill out, have a, well, try not to have a beer while I'm doing the reloading, but, you can have one, we can go one or two, uh, and just get right into it, just, and and I just get a sense of uh, satisfaction out of producing ammo that will shoot out, to however far (laughs) I want to shoot, and, um, and just getting my ES right down, just getting that extreme spread right down mm. and just knowing that those bullets are humming. So I, I thought on it, but I must say, ammo like this mm. has got it down to about, you know, I'm probably two or three percent better than that <clears throat> stuff, you know, in yep. the factory, which, which never was a thing until, you know, this sort of ammo came out.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. My next. My next topic is talking about shooting deer at long range and staying within the parameters of the ballistics of the round you're using. So even in the worst case scenario, it will still be a lethal hit. It's bit yep. of a it's bit, it's bit of a, uh, a, a mouthful, but it's, it's basically, it, and this is going to be, a, this could be a, a debate in, and it's, uh, it's only an idea, you know, it's not, I'm not saying this is the only way to do it or you shouldn't do anything else, but... Um, It's basically the way I hunt um, long range most of the time. I don't really, if it's windy, I'll tend to be bush hunting or creek hunting or doing something a bit different. And I'm generally only like, okay, it's nice and dead calm and it's a nice day. I'm going to go and glass those slips. Um, And the next thing I've got here too, the next topic is actually getting into the ballistics of certain calibers and projectiles. And how much they are actually affected by the wind to give people an, an idea. Um, and I've got a heap of drop charts here and a couple of different albums on my phone. And what I've got is the Fat Max. I run some figures on that. What what um, projectile were you running in that again?
1: The Fat Max. So I've got, I've done a few figures on it as well. Hmm. Um, I've done... I've done figures on the FatMax, which is that. Yeah. Is that the it's,
0: 195 burger?
1: No, that's the 180 hybrid. Oh yeah. Um it's doing three thousand two hundred feet per second. Yeah. Um out of basically a it's a three hundred norma case, neck down to seven mil and improved. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might be thinking, why the heck would you go through all that jargon um, to do a wildcat? And, and, you know, what are the benefits? So I've, I've actually written down here a couple of things. So I've, I've compared the 7 Fat Fatmax with a, with a what I used pretty much predominantly for 10 years of my life was a 308. Yeah. Which is one of New Zealand's. Probably longer serving hunting rifles, um, and basically the seven mil Fat Max will half anything, so it pretty much doubly it outperforms the three oh eight by double. So at 1,200 yards, it's still doing 1,700 feet per second. It's still got 1,200 foot pound of energy, which is what kills animals. Um, At a 10 mile an hour crosswind, you only need 6 mil MOA and it's 26 mils elevation. 6
0: MOA. 6 MOA and a a
1: 10 mile an hour crosswind. At 1200 yards. yards. Yeah.
0: 6 MOA at 1200 yards is a freaking long way though. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a couple of metres.
1: But then you go to the 308, 1200 yards, it's Mm. 52 MOA. So that was 26 for the Fat Max. Yeah. 52, so it's Mm. double. It's 13.5 MOA windage, which is double. Yeah. It's only got 380 foot-pounds of uh, energy left, and it's only doing 1,000 feet per second. So that's extreme cases. Um, but guys do shoot long range of three hundred eights. It's easy to do. Well, it's not easy to do, but guys do it often. Mm. Um, so that's just... For me, I've always, I, that's why I justify having a caliber like that. I build a gun and it's basically built on ballistics, mm. and I know how to shoot it, and if I and I and I practice shooting it, you know? Yeah. So I know I can take those extended shots. Not that I'd ever take a shot at twelve hundred yards, that's just a figure, but I've cut it back to six hundred yards, which basically for the Fat Max is a chip shot. And The 308, 600 yards is really doable, wouldn't we agree?
0: 100% with the right projectile. 100% with
1: with a good setup. With the right round and the right conditions, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, easy. So, Mm. 600 yards with the 7 fat max It's 7.8 MOA elevation. Same wind, 10 mile an hour crosswind. Mm. 2.5 2.5 MOA and at 600 yards it's still doing 2,400 feet per second Yep, and it's carrying 2,300 foot pounds of energy.
0: Can I just double check my figures with your figures? So I've mm. got what I run on the FatMax, I used a different projectile here though, I got a drop yep. whole drop chart in front of me up to a thousand, 10 yep. mile an hour crosswind, what was your wind drift MOA at 600?
1: 2.5.
0: Okay, yep. No, it's about right. Mine's actually a little because yep. I actually run the figures with a 195. Uh, what's that? Extreme long reach or whatever the.
1: Yep, yeah, the burger. Um, one, extreme out of limits. 195, yeah. Yeah, VLP yeah, okay, hunting, yep, Yeah. sorry.
0: Yep, go ahead. So, so, yep. So that's at so, 600, 2
1: MOA. So yep. So it's, it's basically 8 MOA up, 2.5 windage. It's It's doing 2,400 feet per second. That's about 13
0: inches of wind. 12 and a half, inches of wind. Yep. So
1: so two and a half MOA. Yep. Yep. And it's still carrying a lot of foot poundage. The Mm. 308 is up 13 mils uh, Mm -hmm. uh, MOA. Um, So there's double. It's uh, still at five mil Uh, 5 MOA winded, which is double. Uh, The Mm -hmm. velocity is only 1,700 Mm -hmm. feet per second. And the foot-pounds down at 1,000, which is, just while we're on there, 1,000 is probably my minimum I'd go. Minimum? Sorry, what was the velocity of the 308 then? 1,683 on impact.
0: With an ELDM, that's still going to be packing a punch, but yeah, you've got the, that. So that's a good twenty-six inches of wind there. That three hundred and eight. Yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 and that's with a that's a good bullet too. That's a hundred and sixty-eight grain burger, mm. BLD hunting. So that's mm. it's, yep. it's pretty up there with velocity, um, BCs. You know, wind bucking bullet for a three hundred and eight. It's, it's a, a pretty slick bullet. That's a
0: good case scenario for a 308. It's not, yeah, it's, it's comparing yeah. apples to apples. So I'm, not,
1: I'm pretty much comparing apples with apples there. Yeah. But yeah, you, you see right there, I mean, I've been long range shooting for years and wind still gets me uh, from time to time. Mm. So that's where it comes into it. What's, I guess we could talk about what's your range that you would ethically take a hunting shot at with, would you talk about that?
0: Yeah. So, and for me, it begins at a point where, and, and I've got all the figures here. Of I've got the Fatmax for a bit of a comparison. I've got my current uh, seven, 7 mil REM mag cartridge, and it's in its full drop chart with a 10-mile-an-hour drop sheet and a 5-mile-an-hour drop sheet. I've got my current 30M, uh, 308 round, which is surprisingly bloody good. This, it's, and it's actually interesting when we talk about that. I'm using the uh, 208 grain ELDM in my 308. Yeah. And the muzzle velocity is only 2.4, um, but it performs extremely well. It's actually not far behind the REM mag out to about five or 600 yards. It's, it's pretty surprising. Yeah. So I've got that there, and and I think what a lot of people find interesting, especially people that don't necessarily know all of this stuff and they're sort of just learning about it or they hear bits and pieces about it, but they're not too sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got my old load that I used to hunt with, um, which is the 150 grain SST, and I've got a 1,000-yard drop ch- chart of that with the 5-mile-an-hour crosswind and a 10-mile-an-hour crosswind. Um And it's interesting because this is basically what I found when I first started reloading and actually taking that round out and hunting and glassing deer and spotting deer and looking at my drop chart and trying to work out my wind and thinking, should I actually be taking the shot? And um, I found with the SSTs, you know, like if we look at some um, figures here, with my SST, even at, um, say three hundred yards with a ten mile an hour crosswind. Uh, I'm getting eight inches of wind at three hundred yards. You know, but ten mile an hour—that's that's a pretty good wind. You know.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, that's if, about the that's about the limit you'd want to be long range shooting. Or I I believe anyway. It's sort of. You know, you can go more, but it's mm. it's it's a pretty good wind to be able to consistently read and and shoot and I reckon
0: yeah I agree Um, but 8 inches 8 inches is like um, you really need to be correcting for that you you wouldn't you know on a smaller deer you wouldn't want to aim for the middle of the shoulder and have it push 8 inches to the right you're sort of talking about like a heavy wound across the front of the chest or brisket area Mm. or or, um, drifting right back behind the diaphragm and having it. Having a eight, eight, inch,
1: 8 inches is almost, even if you aim smack bang in the middle knowing you've got a right to left wind, mm. you're still worrying, um, yeah. you know, whether you're going to hit.
0: Uh, yeah, 100%, so that's the SST, um, and I want to start switching backwards and forwards here and comparing different rounds, so, um, and what I actually found too, Practically in the field. Like if we look at that in an SST in a 10 mile an hour at 500 yards with a 10 mile an hour crosswind, you're looking at 24 inches of wind drift at 500 yards. Yeah. Even if we drop back to five mile an hour, um, at 500 yards, we've still got 12 inches of wind drift. That's with the old school SST. It's still quite a bit. Yeah. So that's five miles an hour. So, you know, Rusa hunting. I'd get up there first thing in the morning or even camp up on the lookout and get up and it'd be dead calm. Um, I'll pick the day. and But then the roosters often don't start moving around until it starts warming up. And then right as it starts warming up, the wind starts picking up. And I'm looking at it thinking, well, the wind on the side of the hill is moving the tree. So in the middle of the valley, it could be doing 10 mile an hour. I don't even know. Um, and the rooster aren't coming out until the wind's picking up. And... Often, a lot of those spots are over that sort of 250, 300 yard mark, and they're getting out around that 450, 500. Um, And sitting there glassing for deer at 500 yards with an SST, it was bloody hard. It was hard to get the conditions right to do it, you know?
1: Not to mention, sometimes you get thermals coming up. You know, with a low, low BC bullet, you've got to take that into account or you get quite a strong wind coming up a steep gut and it will actually push up that face. Mm. And I mean, you know, I've seen bullets lifted in MOA and you, you're thinking it's a it's a hard crosswind, but it's actually come around the corner, banged up that face and you wonder why you shoot high, you know. So it's a tough shot some of those in that country.
0: And and when you get down in that BC, and, and SST is not even a worst case scenario if you look at something nah. like
1: Federal a Blue Box. A partition or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know. Nose, you know.
0: Um, so that's when I switched over in um, to
1: Amex. it was, mm. a few, yeah. good few years what ago. What about the old 208 AMAX?
0: <sighs> what was I using first? No, nah, I don't think I went to 208 AMAX first. But um, but that's where I'm at now. 208 grain ELDM. Yeah. And if we look at that at 500... Um, or 400... In a, in a 5 mile an hour... We're looking at 5 inches of wind or 4.8. Yes, yeah,
1: a half.
0: Half. We've halved it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if we go to my REM mag shooting bo- out of the box at four hundred, this is the surprising thing: the REM mag is still four inches.
1: So it's not
0: yeah. it's not far ahead of that. That ELDM man is, but what the so so the REM mag's a little bit um, flatter shooting, but obviously a lot in um, velocity and and um, wind and windage as well. Uh, but then it's, it's packing way more punch
1: too. Yeah, and the other thing is, this is where you get into these. You can debate about it all day, but if you put 180 grain VLD, say a burger in that 7 mil, mm. it'd probably cut your wind nearly in half again. So you've, you've picked a really heavy bullet for your 308, mm. which is perfect for cutting wind. It's really good BC. Um it's going at an okay speed, but you do that again in this in the REM mag and then you take the next step too. So it's Okay. It's it's really hard to compare apples with apples. Mm. Um because bullet weight is basically B C. It gives you so much wind bucking capability, you know? Mm.
0: I haven't run the figures on. So so is hundred and eighty grain VLD well ahead of the hundred and sixty two grain
1: Yeah. Okay. Oh, well ahead so so the 162 i think is about six eighteen, mm-hmm. um somewhere around there I, I, know, I run a lot of burger stuff so i know the 168 burger is, is 618 617 and the 180 um i can i can is, google it right now yeah it's
0: right up there around 180 grain vld Yep. Let's look that up. Uh, yep. yep, seven mil, one hundred eighty grain, very low drag, Burger bullets. It's just opening. BCG one six seven three.
1: Yeah, so that's quite substantial when you mm. when you're trying to cut wind.
0: Yeah, it will be interesting to crunch the numbers on that.
1: Yeah, um, and and I mean that's where you get. That's where you get into the inertia of mm. reloading versus packet stuff. You know, mm. you're like you're reloading for your three hundred eight, and I mean you're using you use and you using this and your seven mil REM, and you can and that's what reloading does. You can almost catch, you know, other calibers at their low end, mm. but then you hot rod that up, and that's what reloading. That's how, that's how you end up down the rabbit hole of reloading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. going
0: back to that thing of what's your ethical, um, what's my ethical range of my calibers, um, I, to be honest, I actually keep it within, I don't really use hold up and things, not yet anyway. And and what sort of the first idea or, or the place where I start with longer range shooting is I've got my, if we look at my REM mag, um, and I look at my REM mag drop chart, and I look at five miles an hour, um, you know, I'm happy with wind drift up to maybe four inches. Um, and I might hold a little bit, you know, if, if there's... Um, and if we do drop my drift down to four inches, which is um, at five mile an hour, it's 400 yards, is four inches of wind drift. So if I'm sitting there and I'm feeling, um, you know, a breeze and I'm seeing a breeze, and I know it's sort of less than five miles, uh, which five miles is still a decent breeze. Like, you can feel that properly on your face. That's just moving the yeah, tops yeah. of trees yeah. and things. Um, uh, but because it's only four inches, I can aim for a double lung, if a deer's facing the right way, aim for a double lung, and the worst wind is going to is gonna center punch it right through both shoulders. Yeah. You know? Um yeah. If it's dead calm, early morning, and I think there might be wind in the middle of the valley that I can't even feel because of the ballistics of my REM mag, I know I'm still safe taking a shot at five, 600 yards because worst case scenario, um, I'm, it's still going to be on target. But what I found, the other ballistics I've got here is um, I've got two miles an hour. On all of those same calibers, and this this is where it gets quite interesting for me, um, particularly back in the day when I was shooting with my SST, um, and we're look, talking about shooting at say like really stretching the three hundred eight out six seven eight hundred yards, which you can do, we know that, um, but even with a two mile an hour, and if a two mile an hour is hitting you in the face, you can only just feel it. It's only just mm. there. Yeah. Let's say you want to say, oh, you can shoot deer at 800 yards with a .308, and you can. It'll kill a deer at 800 yards with the perfect projectile and good bullet placement and all that sort of thing. So now we're talking about shooting deer at 800 yards with a If you're talking about doing it with an older style bullet, at 800 yards, an SST with a 2-mile-an-hour crosswind has got 13 inches of drift. Mm. Um, even if you back it back to six hundred, it's still got seven inches of drift.
1: Yeah, and the SST isn't the worst ballistic uh coefficient bullet. You know, it's 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 probably the medium. It's 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 a great bullet. Mm. Let's be honest. And there'll be plenty of hunters listening that shoot with an SST because it is an it absolute is a hammer of a bullet.
0: Awesome bullet. Awesome yeah. medium bullet. Medium range bullet to even short range. It, yeah. Yeah, we're both a huge fan of the SST.
1: Yeah, like if you shoot that bullet and you hit from 0 to 400, you're basically guaranteed to find it on the opposite shoulder and it's done horrific damage. You know, Mm. it's a great bullet. Mm. And it's a medium BC bullet. So Mm. so these figures are are pretty good. Mm. That's what I
0: found shooting steel. Um, It's strong wind. you can feel it, you know it's there, you can see it, you can hear it. But that's what I found really challenging. Um, and, and even so so both with either using uh medium BC bullets like that, or shooting extreme long range, you know, sort of out to a more like getting up to a thousand or, or you know, past eight or nine hundred yards with the REM mag, you're into territory where um a wind that you basically have no way of knowing whether it's there or not can cause you a good shot to miss or wound an animal, and and Easily. for me and for me that's where you're getting into. Uh, I don't want to call it dodgy territory. i want to call it debatable. The, the ethics are debatable there. Um, however, there are those parameters where, if we go back to um, The REM mag or the ELDM, and if if we look at the REM mag in a five mile an hour wind, um, at 500 I've got six inches, at 400 I've got four inches. Um, So once a good breeze turns up, I can really see it moving the tips of the trees, my range comes in to 400 and less. And once it gets up around 10 mile an hour with the REM mag, I'm like, man, I might go bush stalking or I might head back to camp and do something different this afternoon. That's where I'm at. Um, I'm not really... Once I'm like, okay, the one the that's around today might blow my bullet eight or nine inches. I'm sort of
1: out. Yeah. I think if you put yourself in all the hunting scenarios you've been in, whether it be rooster hunting, tar hunting, uh, slip deer hunting, you know, all in the long range part of that hunting, um your 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 600's probably gonna be your max. And I and I feel like if you if you practice a lot, you'll be you'll be it will become a chip shot, and the only the only thing you need to deal with is wind. And mm-hmm. like you just said, you've got parameters for yourself. And I think that's really important because you know I've done a lot of shooting long range and I know guys that have done way more and that really know the wind. I've got some mates that are just wizards on wind. Mm. But seeing them have the same parameters as, you know, like that 600, you know, can we get closer if it's any further, you know, you know, doing all the math and then coming back to now, nah, bugger it, we'll shoot up to that next knob and try and look it. you know, seeing those guys do that is really, Um, probably pulled my head in a little bit because I I know I can shoot that far piece of piss on a good day at the range or even in a flat paddock on animals you know, piece Mm. of piss but the little eddies and the little guts and all those things in the hunting scenario for long range hunting, it just changes so for me, you know, to round up that convo, you've you've got to have parameters for yourself Mm. And I mean, for me, I need to stick to them because biggest trophy rooster's stag you've ever seen comes out 710 yards with a bit of a you know, like say about a bit of seven or eight mile an hour wind. It's a lot. Man. I mean, I've got the <laughs> I've got the cannon that'll do it like that. That 7 mil Fat Max will do that all day, and I've I run a three through eight edge quite a bit. That mm. I'll do that all day, but. Mm. I'm not willing to take those shots that are a wee bit dodgy on, mm. a, on, a, on an animal just to, just to put it on my gram and say, I've smoked this at that far, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, neither am I. And, and yeah. we've all made mistakes too, and, and, and there's so many different sides to it. Like um, um, if, if that is the massive big trophy rooster tag and you stuff it up or you wound mm. it or you miss it, then you screwed it up. If he is there, you're better off waiting till the evening or trying to get closer, or... And then there's there's so many different sides to it, too. Even if it's a meat animal, um, you know, I've mucked up shots before, and if it had been a clean shot, I would have um, dropped the animal on the spot, get up there for an easy recovery, and back to camp. But I've taken a shot I shouldn't have taken. I've stuffed it up, and it's right on dark, and now I'm tracking the deer in the dark through stinging nettle and shit and just (laughs) wondering over and over why the hell did i take that shot i'm feeling bad for the animal and i probably could have just dropped into the creek and um creek hunted in that last half hour because the wind was there and shot a deer anyway and everything would have been fine you know so it's it's all for me it's always um weighing everything up and making the right decision you know um and and that that long-range tool is just there for me when, to use when everything's correct. It's not, it's not the be-all
1: and end-all and the only way, you know. 100%. And probably to round that up, the one thing you got to ditch if, you, if you're going to do long-range hunting and you're serious is your ego.
0: Mm.
1: Because, um, because that'll get you in the shit more than anything else. <laughs> I, um,
0: I that'll get you in the shit with, with most things, but I totally agree
1: yep yep so um probably what follows up from that would be scopes Mm, yeah yeah um so you know when i was starting out i had like a guy that was one of my mates was pretty into it an older guy and he said look doesn't don't really worry about your gun because you know, prime example is the old Remington 700 um, or the Ticker is quite popular in New Zealand. Those things will shoot as far as you can shoot but what makes the difference is the is the glass on top and that's mm. where he, he said to me that's where you spend your money. Um, and it's probably not changed in 20 years. It's the same thing. You spend the money, you, you spend it right once, you know, buy right, cry once, you know, and mm-hmm. it's still the same. Like, there's a lot of good scopes coming in nowadays that are pretty good. Mm. But, um, you know, I've always used Night Force. And, you know, if I need a really lightweight setup, I'll go Shrowski. Um, But for that long range stuff, I've always used Night Force and they've never let me down. Mm. I've recently um, got on to the march scopes because they're a bit lighter than the night force but with the same sort of characteristics I'm sort of still still testing that out at the moment but yeah if if I had my you know if I had to talk to someone who was getting into it I'd say invest wisely in a good scope Second-hand scopes come up like that pretty cheap too mm. Um but they're just worth their weight in gold. But, you know, the glass quality yeah, and a lot of New Zealand hunting is done right on that last light because we've got so much game recovery, you know, Waro pressure. You know, if you're serious about your trophy hunting, you're going to be shooting in that last 10, 15 minutes of light. And with with crap glass, you're just not going to be you're not going to get the opportunities. Um, mm. And we've all sat there with our flash binos. Yeah, there's the big boy get on the gun holy shit I can't see anything <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's just like, so frustrating you're like oh what have I I've, I've compromised my setup because I wanted a lightweight thing or I wanted something and I, now I've compromised and, and I can't even shoot at the thing because I can't see it mm. you know I'm, I'm running a pair of Leica Geovit HDs and, and it, you know Showing up like a beacon on the side of a hill, but um, yeah, so that's probably the, my number one thing the, that I wouldn't compromise on. But
0: the optics of your scopes not keeping up with everything else,
1: exactly. Mm. Mm. And um, you know, I'm not an ad, adver- I don't, I don't, I'm not sponsored by anyone, but you know, Force scopes for me in the last 15 years have been just. You know, I've I've literally dropped my gun off a bluff. Where I fell off the bluff as well down south, ended up in a big snowshoot, Found my gun, and it just the whole scopes banged. All the turrets are banged up. There's you know there's darks out of the tube and ended up that trip. I've shot a I've shot a tar with that same gun, and it was still zeroed. Mm. Um, Another trip, I snapped my rifle butt. It was a laminated stock, yeah, custom build. I, I clean snapped it in half um, at the at the action screw at the back, but hard um, gear. <laughs> yeah, later that trip, night for scope. I shot a tar, a trophy bull tar. I shot a fourteen inch bull tar. Yeah, with that, with the with the rest of my gun. Um, so for me. And New Zealand conditions, they're, they're my go-to scope, and I just mm. haven't been able to get away from them. But like I said, I do use Swarovski mm. to keep the weight down. You've just got to be a bit more careful, but they they are repeatable and they're, they're really good glass. And um, some really good hunters use them for long range stuff. So, mm.
0: what about Leopold VX6? I've had a good, great run out of um, VX6s. Um, yeah. I have I have knocked them, but pretty hard, and I've gone way out of way out of sight. Uh, but yep. I'm talking big, hard knocks, like you know you've done it. Um, but yeah, I think they're a great scope, the VX6. Um, no, I, I love my Nightforce a lot more. I'm a lot more comfortable yeah. with it. Um, same as you, I'm really. I've got that March sitting on the shelf here. and really looking forward to giving that a go because it's got the better. Um,
1: the better magnification, uh, range. magnification range. Yeah. yeah, that's a big thing too in New Zealand, I think. Um, yeah, the Leopold, I have, I've, I've used one once, but I, after having a night force, it's bloody hard mm. um, to compare glass because it's so good. And it's, mm. you know, that last light, again, I thought my Leopold struggled a wee bit there on that last light stuff. Oh, but for, those, for those shots that are around that 600 yard mark, mm. and further... Um, I struggle with the Leopold but not saying they're not a good scope bloody good scope but I mm. just um, I've, got, yeah,
0: yeah. I've got the 3 to 18 um, by 44 VX, Leopold VX6 on my 308 which is great yeah. because I've got the 3 low end for bush stalking um, and then it's a 308 so I'm only I'm not really shooting much past four, 3, 4, 500 yards most of the time 600 i've shot steel out to 800 yards with that rifle good as gold when there's no wind um uh, i'm using an eldm which is soft bullet so it's going to perform out to you know five six hundred yards really well heavy soft bullet um and and the 18 the top end of that vx6 is good for that out to five six hundred yards as good as goal having said all that oh you know people like to say things like oh um you know that scope or that bino's Yeah, the four thousand dollar one is a bit better to look through than the two thousand dollar one but practically in the field you're not going to notice the difference and stuff like that and i think that that comic can be a bit of a cop-out uh it can be true too and that the two thousand dollar one will work just as well most of the it's a it's a it's splitting hairs you know it's it's yeah it, it's so subjective and so difficult. But um the I've said it before on the podcast, the the night force, it's not just a little bit better. It's <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. The the reticle, the optics, everything. It's it's a it's awesome, you know?
1: Yeah. For me, mate, the, the I'm a big I'm a big guy and I'm well, I'm a little bit rough on gear. Um It has absolutely outperformed anything I've ever done to it, Mm. and uh, you know I've got a couple of stories there just to to back that up. But the only thing I'll say is it's it's heavy. It's a bloody. Mm. It's eight hundred and seventy nine grams. What models that an NXS? The the five point five to yeah twenty two by fifty. Yeah, um, and I mean. That's something you got to think about. You, you, mm-hmm. Some guys don't want to carry around a eight and a half pound rifle. They want to carry the the lighter. I mean, for for example, I've got I've got the Fatmax here, and it's got the Swara on its um, that a Z5, 3 to eight, Is that a three to five? Is that a three
0: to yeah.
1: eighteen? Three to eighteen. That's that's yeah. That's yeah. Classic New Zealand. Hunting, everything, gun, uh, uh, scope, sorry, and you know that's probably my go-to gun. Mm. And you know, but that thing will shoot. It's great light gathering. It's light. That gun weighs seven point two pound all mm. in bolt mm. uh, muzzle brake scope the whole lot. So it's pretty bloody light. And mm. um, and that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make on that gun. Mm. But, yeah, it's a
0: great mountain rifle that eh. Um, yeah, that's
1: that's when you're doing the hard yards and, and you might only have one shot for the trip, you know. And to be
0: honest, the the five point five, the bottom end on the night force, it's a bit high for bush for tight bush talking stuff and yeah. when things it, are yeah. it's it's met, it's workable. Um yeah. but but and I'll, it's a never lost me a shot or anything like that, but it is it is a bit tight. Three's bloody good when you're getting real yep. close. Um, yeah. It's going to be interesting to give these marches a run, eh?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm bloody excited about it, which just mm. time's an issue, but um, I'll be right in a couple of weeks. But um,
0: What are they? Is it 2.5 to 25? 25,
1: yeah, mm. by 42. So it's basically, without either of us having shot with them, uh, I mean, yeah I'd look through them in that but it's basically the perfect magnification for New Zealand mm. it it's got it's got the real solid dial-up turrets you know elevation windage it's got mm. the re- it's got all the gear it's got pretty good glass um, it's a solid sort of um, body you know alloy body on the on the thing it's a you know it should be the ducks nuts mm. <laughs> But it's the um, same
0: weight it's the same weight as that bloody Suaro just about, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's six hundred and sixty grams, I think mm. they are. It's light it's more scope in a lighter package. And ma- and yep. March are known for bloody high quality, eh? Really repeatable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that'll yeah, be interesting. So it's gonna be bloody exciting. We've both got the same scope, so mm. um, Hey, a real important topic
0: on scopes, I think particularly
1: for hunting, is first focal plane versus second? Yep. I think I'm always on the go and I'm always trying to keep up with technology uh, and I don't get bogged down and I don't get ideas in my head that this is what you got to have. I've always been second focal plane uh, for my hunting because I struggle to see the first focal plane. Uh, I actually had a march... And first focal plane sent to me. Uh, I ordered it and it was, and I just I put it on my rifle and I I just can't. I, I quite like the low magnification of scopes. Like I'm 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 not a big magnification guy at the top end unless I'm shooting way out there. Mm. I've done a lot of lot of hunting with you know 10 power and down scopes in my time. Now I've got night force dial-up. 10 power scopes, and they are just, I've, I've shot, you know, 800 yards easily with them. So I don't need that high-end magnification, but with the first focal plane, I've always struggled to get a reticle picture uh, on the lower stuff. You've yep. got to have them about eight before you can really pick it up in the bush in that. <coughs> and yep. obviously now you can have a um uh, illuminated uh reticle in the middle of them and that sort of stuff so they are getting better and better and i know mm. a lot of guys are using them but yeah, you know I, I really struggle for hunting with first vocal plane because of the reticle size yeah.
0: yeah i've never owned one um i've i've um but a mate's got a uh first vocal plane nx8 and I was dead set on getting one of those things for the bottom end and the top end. And I love Night Force, oh, but I really just wanted a Night Force with that bottom end. And um, and I looked through it, the glass is freaking amazing, man. The NX8 and, it, and the NX8's not as light as the March, but it's still fairly compact.
1: Um, yeah, 817 grams, I think they are. Something
0: like that. Yeah. Mm. Um, bit shorter than the NX8 and more compact, but a bloody solid scope with, with incredible specs. And uh, but man, that first vocal plane, it was just too fine at the at the lower um settings, you know. And and it was actually fine enough and hard enough to pick up in certain light. I sat on my mate's deck. And while it got dark and, I, and and he had this awesome big view from his house and he had these trees and pine trees there and up close and I was just sat there for about 20 minutes looking through it at different um, backgrounds and colours and ranges and zooming in and out and I, <laughs> I was pissed off because I, re- I really had my heart set on one but I knew deep down that nah, I just can't do it. Um, yeah. But another interesting fact is since then Night Force has come out with the second focal plane in the NX-8.
1: Yeah, I've just ordered two of them.
0: Have you? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> good man. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be. I'll be pretty keen to have a to put this march through its paces, yeah. and also get my mitts on one of those and have a look through one of them in, in person.
1: Yeah. Well, you can mm. take one of these because I've just ordered two of them, um, for two different rifles. But we'll be. Um, we may as well. Yeah. Put them on and hook in. Mm. Uh, they won't be. Couple of months because they're only just sort of come out in the states and uh, pretty high demand. So, mm. but yeah, it'll be bloody interesting because I like I'm like you. Yeah, I love my night Force I just didn't appreciate the weight and the length of the NXs is really long, whereas mm. the new NX8s shorter. You know, they've done everything they can to, to get them down to um, huntable sort of weights. And, mm. and it'll
0: it'll be a hard toss up a hey, between that that March and, and the NX8. I think. Yeah. The um, one
1: gripe I've got about the March just mm-hmm. at the moment is the it's got a real finicky parallax dial, and you've yep. got to, it doesn't have a really nice sight picture until that's bang on, mm-hmm. and it's and it's like wow when it's bang on, yeah. But when it's slightly off, you're like, geez, this thing's bloody average, and you you're pissing around because it it goes from like. Eight yards, I think, to infinity, and it's really finicky.
0: Mm. It's, so a short, it's a short, it's a short throwaway. Eh? Like, like a tiny turn of the parallax moves the focus a long way.
1: Yeah. Whereas night force, you can mm. like a uh, strobe on it. Bah, oh yeah, bang. Yeah. there it is. And it's more Whereas forgiving. The March, you've got to be really finicky at all ranges. So that's it's mm. one little thing that I've noticed about it.
0: Eye box is another thing. Of like when I was trolling through the internet. Um, prior to purchasing that march i found a couple of comments people saying yeah the eye box is a bit finicky on it
1: having something that do too- with the parallax though i reckon yeah yep. yeah wow that's what i've found yeah mm.
0: i also found a huge amount of really positive i couldn't find i, I dug so deep and so long on the march and i couldn't find anything on the internet that was like no nah, don't get one of these so that'll be yep. bloody interesting we've got it we've got to. I'm the same with time, that thing sitting on the couch, uh, sitting on the on the um, shelf. Uh, but the other thing is I've got two great guns that work really well, so it's hard to put that time aside and pull a scope off it that's all sighted in and ready to go, you know.
1: Good thing about night force rings, though, you can literally undo them, rip it off, bang something else on, and then bang that back on, and it'll be pretty... If you've got a rail and night force rings... Should be pretty bang on. Should be pretty close,
0: eh? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Last topic, and we'll wrap it up. Um, cool. Shooting technique: free recoiling versus forward pressure, and then and then sort of coupling that with practical shooting in the field, shooting off a pack versus shooting off a pack, leaning on a tree, leaning on a stump versus that more traditional forward pressure and you know setup.
1: Yeah. Hell of a topic because, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big topic. And I know there's a lot of different techniques. And that's one thing I'll say. There's a lot of different techniques out there. And a lot of them are really good for, uh, you know, shooting technique. And there's, so basically, long story short, there's a, there's a bench-rest shooting technique, which is on a bench, free-recall, relatively heavy gun, um, very minimal uh, shooter impact on the gun because it's just sitting there doing its free recoil um, consistent groups as long as you do your part. Then you've got the you've got sort of the army sniper technique which is straight behind the rifle prone position load the bipod so you can control your rifle forward pressure pressure on your shoulder pushing the rifle forward forward pressure controlling the recourse so you can get back on target really quickly because you're not allowing Mm. that gun to buck up or sideways or um so that's another technique Uh, and then anything in between is almost a variant of both of those so shooting off a pack that gun can do what it wants really. You know, you can, a variant would be put your hand on top of the scope. One thing I'll say is you never want to touch the barrel on a modern rifle because they're all free floated and that messes with the harmonics of the shot of the barrel. But shooting off a pack, you put your hand on the scope and you control it so it's going this way and that might, that might work fantastically for you 95% of the time at most ranges. Other one is bipod, dig the spikes in, crank on it, you know, get it forward, start so sitting right on your shoulder and boof, and you just see the you know, the scope doesn't move and you can see the bullet trace and you know, you get a follow up shot and all mm. that sort of stuff. Um so there's two examples that are not quite bench, but not quite military. And I think you've got to be adaptable in New Zealand with hunting. So But one thing I will say is long range shooting is, it's all about consistency. So like I say, don't touch your barrel because your consistency of the harmonics. You you put your hand on a barrel and shoot at long range, you'll notice Mm. from where you zeroed it from. Um, Pressure, like hand grips, talking grips, anything you do when that rifle goes off and recalls, you won't notice them on a low re- recalling rifle, mm. but you get a, um, this thing, mm. a 7.2 pound rifle, and it's you know, it's a rocket launcher, you're going to notice. If you yeah. do anything different to that rifle, if you human impact it, you know, the rifle. So, that's probably the biggest thing for me. If you, if you are a bipod loader, or what do you call it? The, the forward pressure? Yeah. You've got to be consistent with how much pressure. You've got mm-hmm. to have in, the, in your shoulder the exact same place because you, you remember your body's 100 kilo. That thing's hitting you or you've got that weight on it. You know, it's got to be the same every time. Otherwise, you're not going to get a consistent shot at long range. You know, you'll get away with it up to 600 yards most mm-hmm. of the time. So that's... For me, I try not to um, impact the rifle. I try and impact the rifle as least as I possibly can, but still control that recoil. So it's gonna. So I know I can sort of feel it, and I know it's it's gonna come. It's gonna recoil, mm. but it's gonna recoil straight back into my shoulder, which has then got 127 kegs behind that, <laughs> and and um, like if- I can. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: And like because what we were talking about the other day is is I'm more of a free recoil um, style shooter, um, but then I'm yeah. shoot and, and we've got a you know it's all uh, relevant or subjective or whatever you want to call it, but um, I'm shooting a three oh eight and a seven mm rim mag both with big suppressors on them. Neither of them are super light up, They're not heavy either. They're, they're you yeah. know they're both takers. Um, one's got a VX6 on it. One's got a Night Force on it. Um, the one with the Night Force has got a carbon stock. It's a relatively light setup. Mm. Um, but the Remag, but I've got a big suppressor on that and a full length barrel, big long suppressor that takes a lot of recoil out of it. My Remag Mag actually recoils less than my 308 shooting the 208 grain because the Remag Mag shooting 162 grain. It's got a great a big, great suppressor on it um, and a 22 inch barrel. Um, but I—it's hard to say too, you know, because I'm—I'm not small either. I'm six five I'm six, five, a hundred kilos, hundred seven kilos, uh, and it is in the pocket. It's against my shoulder, um, but I'm not really forward loading. Um, I've got my hand on top of the scope, and I can often see my hits through the scope, um, you know, and I'm back on target. And I am—I'm spotting my hits in that, you know, controlling mm. it enough for that. On the same note, though, I'm not when I'm practicing on steel or siding in or practicing at a range. I'm not uh, necessarily. I am on a flat spot. I am on a nice flat area. I've got a. I'm not a proper shooting pad with the loops in it that you hook the tripod, the bipod feed into. I'm using the spikes and they're sitting on grass or you know just dug into the ground. But I'm not. putting a lot of forward pressure on I'm still using a fairly free recoiling method with my hand on top of the scope and then when I'm out in the field later on shooting off a pack or shooting off a stump my 308 doesn't even have a um a bipod on it at all so that's always shooting off a pack or a jacket or something like that um when I am in those sort of varying field shots I don't feel like a fish out of water because I've been doing this super structured um, forward pressure every single time at the range and siding in. I'm relatively comfortable to shoot in a few different um, positions without the whole thing feeling completely different, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I've pretty much developed. What works for me and I know I can consistently do, (laughs) which is what you're doing essentially, is what you need to be doing when you're shooting that animal. So however you're training at, on the gongs or at the rock across the thing, you've just got to find what works for you. And, and most you know, shootings, you know, you, you've got some prick of an angle sometimes. That's why I don't like that bipod load because often you're not going to be able to load. It. One, you're not going to be able to use a bipod because it's spring and the grass is high and you're literally going to have to take a shot off you pack, frame, or your knees at 400, 450 yards. So, what are you loading there? Mm. You've instantly changed the harmonics of your rifle. You've got a different grip. You're shooting down a bloody gully like this. So, I like to, like I say, have as little impact on the rifle human uh, era as possible. And, you know, Bob's your uncle, really. So... That's probably, what, what and you're doing it with your hand on the scope, which is probably going to be the same pressure. Mm. You're not leaning forward. You're not leaning. You just got it there. It's in the mm. pocket. Bang. Mm. Nine times out of ten, that rifle's going to re- repeat that. Yeah. No drivers. And like, to be honest, too, you're only going to notice these fine, fine things when you go from 650 to 1,000, mm. which – we're not shooting animals at that anyway, so it's not a big deal. But it's just a good habit to get into. Is repeatability and consistency equals, you know, accuracy. Mm. Really, yeah.
0: And and I get one point that I've had I've, I had it in my head earlier on this podcast too, and it keeps coming up now. Uh, is practice, man, and and yeah. and lots uh, of practice, probably. and and I practice. It's you know, th- two, three, four, five, six, seven... 800 yards in different winds um on steel and and i practice at 800 yards and 10 mile an hour to shoot deer at 400 yards and five miles an hour you know what i mean i sort of almost double everything um and and you know i'll be shooting a, a long time and and still if even if I haven't even used my rifle, or I haven't been hunting in a while, or I start to get a little bit uncomfortable, if I haven't taken both of my rifles out to a range somewhere and confirmed everything and shot steel out to seven, eight hundred yards for a few months, on you know, even if I know everything's on, um, and I've done a lot of practice too, I think that's a huge one. And actually shooting in the wind, shooting at the different ranges, um, I think it's important not to just. You know, crony, you load it at the 200-yard range and punch that into the um, app and then go start shooting a deer at 600. You need to verify everything
1: at all the different ranges. Yeah, that's a whole nother kettle of fish we could talk about to get people set up mm. along the way, because there's mm. a huge part, uh, you know, the inertia of that is, like you say, you, you got apps and there's, there's a lot of stuff you can set up to make it really easy, but um, practice is, with everything in life practice is your number one go-to i mean i'm lucky enough to have my own range out to a thousand and i'm doing my own load developments and doing other people's load developments so i'm always shooting but even that is not always that good because i'm always in the same wind tunnel i'm shooting the same targets i get used i just know what that wind's doing there i know it so it's good to mix that up too with your practice go out and just find a face over there, pick out a rock, pretend you're doing a one shot must kill sort of setup. Mm. because we can all walk into a target. Bang. Oh yeah. Minute right. Missed. Oh yeah. Bugger my wind up. Bang. Bang, bang, bang. bang. You know, you're on. So just practice that one shot, one kill, gotta make it and you'll you'll notice you'll learn a lot from shooting in different winds like you say, but that's probably the main thing. And, and, Shooting further than you have to so that 400, 500, those slips that you're going to have to be able to shoot to if you want to be able to see them is just a chip shot. That's Mm. what you want. Mm.
0: All right, man. Cool. Let's wrap it up. Um, We might do a couple of these. So guys, throw, guys and girls, listeners, people, um, throw in comments if you want to hear another one um, with Ben, um, subjects. Yeah, and yeah, thanks for coming on, man.
1: Yeah, sweet, bro.
0: Um, do you want to give it? Do you want people to go follow you anywhere? Alps Outfitters Instagram. Anything you want to shout out?
1: Oh, mate, they'll they'll find me if they want to. I'm pretty boring, so they probably won't <laughs> want to. But uh, <laughs> now got uh, got the Alps Outfitters Instagram there. That's our guiding uh, setup, and um, yeah, we'll just we'll look forward to the next one. Yeah, hopefully awesome, try and, uh, hopefully people learn something.
0: Yeah, I think they definitely will have. Cheers, Ben. See you later. Yeah. Thanks, everybody.